Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. Gobble, gobble. It is coming. (laughs) From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. And for this Thanksgiving holiday, we are bringing you a lady we are thankful for who has written a book about a whole bunch of badass ladies for which we are also thankful. This is Kate Schatz. The book is a follow-up to her Rad American Women A to Z book. Now it is Rad Women Worldwide. Wow, we didn't plan that. It sounded good. (laughs) It was kind of like pigs in space. (laughs) Kate Schatz has written a book. That is page after page of gorgeous illustrations. I'm always conflicted because I want to tear out the illustrations (laughs) and just wallpaper my home with them. But then I also don't want to ruin the book. So I may need to buy multiple copies of Kate Schott's book. But each woman is given a gorgeous illustration. And then it's a short biography of what the woman or in some cases a set of sisters or a group of women did to change history. What's great about this book, too, is that I think it works for the women's studies major who has read all of the feminist things because there are some really great gems of ladies that you maybe haven't heard of. Yeah, definitely. As someone who took a lot of gender studies classes in college and has read some of this kind of stuff, it's like a Reader's Digest version in a really good way of so many women who maybe were a footnote somewhere in one of your history books, but probably weren't in your history books at all, even in some of those classes. And for me, who took like the class on beatniks instead of the women's studies class, it's a really nice kind of Cliff Notes version of a lot of really important women and the great work that they did. Longtime loyal listeners of Nerdette may remember Kate Schatz being on the show for her first book that was all about women in American history. This one goes global. And so when Kate Schatz was here visiting Chicago in October, we sat down to talk about the the raddest of all the rad women in her book. What's your criteria that you're working with here? Like, what makes these ladies rad? (sighs) That's such a good question. Um, I mean, they range from the beginning of ancient civilization up to now, and they are from every continent in the world. I'd say what makes them rad is that no matter what these women were doing, what time period, what country, what culture, they all had a really clear vision and, like, passion of what they wanted to do or what they wanted to be. They all faced some kind of adversity, whether it was family or societal expectations or like an oppressive government. And they all persevered and did really great things. Um, Some of them received recognition for that in their lifetimes and some did not. But they all really pushed past some major, major barriers. And it makes me happy when people are like, I haven't heard of most of these people. Yeah, totally. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, I was a women's studies major. I feel terrible. (laughs) I'm like, no, no, that's okay. And that's what we want. We're intentionally telling stories of women who are under-recognized and not well-known. A lot of the women in the book are really well-known in their own country or culture, right? But outside of that, they're not. So, for instance, Nanny of the Maroons, who's from Jamaica, everyone in Jamaica knows who Nanny is. She's Mm -hmm. on their $500 bill. She's a national hero. But beyond Jamaica, nobody knows who she is. And so those are the other kinds of stories we wanted to have. Let's dive into a few of your favorites from the book. You mentioned that the book begins almost at the beginning of recorded history and goes all the way to people who are still living today, which Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to include living folks in part because their story isn't completely written yet, right? 
Yeah, which is a challenge in writing about contemporary people. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's so important, especially for young people who their historical education in schools is very much about dead people that were alive a long time ago. And I I definitely want to be making a case here that history is cool, you know, that we should be interested in it, and that things that are happening now are part of history, right? That it's not just about dead people and things that happened way, way, way long ago. Right, that it's still alive. I think that's super important. Mm -hmm. So this is a sad and really powerful story, especially given our current political times. Mm -hmm. And this is you know, when we say my favorites, I have to be clear. I love all of these stories. <laughs> this equally. is fair. All of these women are my favorite. But there are some stories that I feel like as the writer, I, they're stories I'm really excited about. And so Sophie Scholl, she's someone who, when we decided to do this book, I knew right away that she was going to be in it. It took a long time to decide a lot of other people, but mm. I was like, Sophie Scholl is going to be in this book. And I learned about Sophie when I was in Berlin about 15 years ago in a, on a trip. And in a public square in Berlin, there was a little monument to her. And I was like, who is she? She's super young. She's cute. She's got this short hair. She's got this kind of like like hip little butch look to her. And I'm like, "What? who is she? And it, it was a monument to her and to the members of the White Rose. So I remember really vividly writing it down. This is, I did not have an iPhone, so I couldn't look it up immediately. <laughs> but I wrote it down in my notebook and went home and looked her up and became really fascinated with her story. So Sophie was a German girl who grew up in the 1930s. In Germany, and she joined the Nazi Party, the League of German Girls, like most kids did in in the 30s, really unaware of what Hitler was doing and what the Nazi Party was becoming. When she got to college uh, with her brother Hans, is when really when the Nazi rise to power was like really happening, and they were starting to hear these stories about these atrocities, about these camps, about you know the kind of Nazi takeover, and they were really starting to question their government. So a lot of this is a story about young people kind of coming to realize that what they'd always been told about their government is not true and kind of developing that consciousness. And they had really progressive parents. Actually, their father was once arrested for saying, I don't like Hitler. And uh, so their parents really encouraged this kind of free thought. Sophie was really interested in biology and philosophy and science, Mm -hmm. and they went to the University of Munich. But again, they got more and more concerned what was really happening. So her brother Hans and his friends decided to start a group they called the White Rose, and they were going to print these leaflets that were anti-Hitler. At first, they did not want Sophie to join because she was a girl. But then they realized that not only was she super smart, but she would be less likely to be stopped by the Gestapo and suspected of any kind of anti-Nazi activity because, because she, was, she a girl. was a girl. So she was like their mm-hmm. secret weapon kind of. Um, and they – so in 1942, they wrote this anonymous one-page essay that criticized the Nazis. And they were the first – by all historical accounts that I've seen, they were the first people – in Germany to publicly denounce Hitler and the Nazis and to actually put it out there. So they wrote these really intense, beautiful one-page essays and hand-cranked them out on a copier at the University of Munich and distributed them around campus. So they'd leave them outside of classrooms. They'd put them under people's – I don't know if they were dorms, but under their doorways. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they started mailing them out to other cities. And students – some students turned them in to the SS, to the Gestapo, uh, the secret police, and some kept them and made more copies. So at the bottom of every one, they wrote, please make as many copies of this leaflet as you can and distribute them. And so they started making more and more. They made five more leaflets. One of my favorite quotes from the leaflet 
the fourth leaflet. It ends with the words, we will not be silent. We are your bad conscience. The white rose will not leave you in peace. And each one got more and more intense and basically was saying, like, wake up, Germany. Pay attention to what's happening. This is on us. Yeah. Where's your conscience? Like, do you know what is happening? And they quoted the Bible. They quoted Aristotle. Like, they were very philosophical. And you can read these all online. Um, They're really intense. And so in 1943, they were distributing their sixth leaflet at school. The bell rang. Sophie was at the top of a staircase. She knew students were going to come out of class, but she didn't want to waste the leaflets. She threw an armful over the stairs, and a janitor saw her and turned her and her brother in. They confessed. They owned up to what they were doing. They didn't rat on anybody else, but a lot of other members of their group did get arrested. They were charged with treason and sentenced to death. So Sophie was 21 years old. Her brother was, I think, 23. Um, They went to court. They had a really famous Nazi judge reside over the trial. And they, I mean, just the stories of this trial, they just totally held their heads high. They defended their actions. They spoke out and condemned everybody who was in with the Nazis. And her last words were, the sun still shines. And they were both executed. Amazing footnote to this story is that a copy of that final leaflet was actually smuggled out of the courtroom. It's unclear how, but potentially by one of the jurors smuggled it out of the courtroom and got it to the allies who made millions of copies and then airdropped it over Germany. Wow. So in the end, millions of people got to see their final leaflet, which was called the Manifesto of the Students of Munich. And so, again, I mean, I, when I – it almost makes me almost cry when I read this story. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a know, tough one. Because it is. And it's about, you know, the real resistance to tyranny. But – Again, in Germany, she's quite well known and the White Rose is quite well known. But uh, outside of that and, you know, when you when you learn about the Holocaust, when you learn about Nazis uh, in the U.S., like that kind of resistance is not part of the of the narrative. So I was really, really excited to tell this story. I think this story, too, I mean, it affects me so personally just because I think it's devastating. I mean, it's a super sad story, but merely the fact of talking about her and kind of helping remember what good work she did, I mm-hmm. think is just so important, mm-hmm. you know. And a cool thing about researching this story is it's very well documented. You know, so the court transcripts, all these their quotes and things that they said, everything's very well documented. So there was a lot that I could use, a lot of sources I was able to draw from. Um, and one is that uh, in the middle of their trial, Sophie and Hans's father tried to enter the courtroom, but the guards wouldn't let him. But he shouted from outside and everybody heard him. And he said, one day there will be another kind of justice. One day they will go down in history. So I thought a lot about that a lot when I was writing this. Like, OK, like I, w- I want them to go down in history. So if I wasn't crying before, I am now, Kate. Thanks. <laughs> and what a powerful example for a young person reading this book to have someone who did all of this in their mm-hmm. teens, in mm-hmm. their early 20s, and to say that you don't have to be 70 years old and look back on your life sure. to have been able to achieve anything worthwhile that college students on a college campus who, you know, our culture is so good at dismissing young people as not really having any opinion or yes. anything <laughs> worth worth listening to. And yet throughout history, when we look at social movements, it's so often been young people yes. and mothers <laughs> yes. who've changed the conversation and who've refused to to sit still or to it's, stand back. It's true. And, and yeah, I mean, we continue to dismiss millennials. We're like, what's up with these millennials? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Are they going to vote? They don't do anything. Yeah, they do. They're amazing. They're leading all kinds of movements. And I think I like the perspective that this story gives to just, to, I don't know, this is not 100 years ago. This is not even 100 years ago. This is like 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you think about the ease with which we can communicate now, that we can just like share a post or like something, right? Like, what they went through to just like hand crank 9,000 pieces of paper that led to their death. 
it puts the kind of freedom that we do have um, in terms of communicating in perspective. When we come back, the story of a check written out to Venus Williams that must have felt pretty sweet to cash. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Let's end with one that's a little more fun. Because <laughs> I do think it's fun to think about the people who are contemporaries mm-hmm. who may end up here. And so uh, Malala's in the book. Yeah. And so are the Williams sisters. Yeah. And I just think that Venus and Serena Williams, first of all, I mean, they're just incredible at what they do. But they also have taken the mantle of being role models and mm-hmm. being people who are in the public eye, even though, I mean, normally we don't know that much about tennis stars, right? Like people maybe know their names, but they are sort of the most famous maybe in their sport even and some of the most famous athletes in in our country and maybe Mm -hmm. in the world. And so to to have them in this book alongside these others makes me think they're not done yet, right? Right. That even if they retire from tennis, I have a feeling we're going to be hearing from these sisters for a while. But I wonder why you decided of all the contemporary people who could have been in the book, why the Williams sisters? Because they're so awesome. (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, really, like you said, you know, I think that they are so famous. They're so recognizable. And it's in a sport that is not a hugely popular sport, at least in the United States. You know, it's a I'm actually not a huge tennis fan. I'm a huge sports fan, but tennis has Mm. never been my I don't I still don't understand how the scoring works. Like when I watch (laughs) them, like, I don't. How, how do you get a point? I try. But um, but <laughs> they have become these, like, world-renowned athletes. And I think their athleticism and how they just challenge the sport, right? It's a really white, really European-dominated sport. And they've come in and just kind of upended it in so many ways. And they're incredible to watch. Um, but they've become pop culture stars as well. You know, they've do so many other things. They're in Beyonce videos. They're, you know, they're, they're, they also have an incredible kind of streak of activism that they've both, that they've both engaged in. And so I talk in the story about Venus's role in campaigning to change the payout of the French Open in Wimbledon, which up until 2007 openly paid women less prize money than men. Like that was just a thing that was just normal for these huge biggest tennis tournaments in the world. And it took actually several years of Venus leading this campaign to change that. I mean, it wasn't just like Venus said, hey, you need to pay us equally. And they said, "Okay." they they really resisted it. And she spent years doing this. And they finally so in 2007, both tournaments came in. And the first person to win that equal prize money at Wimbledon was Venus Williams. (laughs) And she got paid the same as Roger Federer. So she really reaped the benefit of her. It must have been a fun check to cash, right? You know, like three years of work and a lot of sweat in that. Literal sweat. Literal sweat and, (laughs) you know, uh, intellectual sweat for for years to go like, yeah. 
putting that in the bank probably felt good. Mm-hmm. What do you think this book is going to hopefully do for you know boys and girls who pick it up who are that middle schooler like what are you hoping is the takeaway from yes well, seeing all these women i'm glad you say boys and girls because i really like to talk about how this book is totally for boys and men as well right i want to empower girls and give them these examples but if boys aren't interested in these examples if they're not seeing women in positions of power and leadership then nothing changes right and the good news is for listeners out there, boys love this book. We go all over the country and do school visits all the time, and boys are super into it because they're good stories. Like these are just cool people that did awesome things. They all happen to be women, but they're fun to read. I, at least I think so. That's what the kids seem to think. So in terms of the takeaway, I mean I want them to get excited about these people, these women, and get inspired you know, for themselves and also really to see themselves in the stories. And that's, I think, one of the most satisfying things for me is when there are kids of color, there are immigrant kids, there are kids whose families or names or stories are similar to the ones in the book. And they're seen maybe for the first time themselves or someone like them represented in a book and not just as like a funny best friend or like a secondary yeah. character in a, in a book or a movie, but like as a hero, you know, as like a really cool person to look up to. And um, in the back of the book, because 40 was not enough, I have a list of 250 names of women from almost every country in the world. So there's like a fun research angle where... It's, so that's the homework. Yeah, you finished the, the book, <laughs> now yeah. Google all these names. Yeah, but you know, kids will come up and say like, you don't have anybody from like Bangladesh, do you? That's where my family's from. And I'm like, oh, well, look in the back of the book. Yeah, here's three amazing women from Bangladesh. And then they're like amazed to see that. So that, that's the hope The you know, I hope that they can put these people right up there on the shelf with the other people that they hold in high esteem. And, you know, I think there's some other things that I hope I I really get excited when young people are like, these people are amazing. Why haven't I heard of them? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. Why do you think? Start to question your other history books a little. Starting to question those things, mm-hmm. you know? And then, like, when they get assigned, a, you know, a lot of teachers use this book in, in classes now. So, you know, when you get assigned that, like, biography project in seventh grade, you know, maybe someone will write about the ENIAC programmers. Um, maybe someone will write about Sophie Scholl or polystyrene instead of just Susan B. Anthony. Right. Again. <laughs> <laughs> Again. No shade, Susan B. Also but... cool. Okay, so check out Rad Women Worldwide. That's the newest book by Kate Schatz. And if you haven't yet, Rad American Women A to Z is also awesome. I just really love the word rad. Yeah, all the rad boys and girls in your life. This would probably make a pretty good stocking stuffery kind of book because it's gorgeous. I'm telling you, you're going to want to tear it up and turn it into (laughs) wallpaper. Also keep in mind, Kate actually has another book coming out in the near future that's called How to Be Rad, and it's this super cool illustrated journal that helps you explore your radness, which is also just super rad. I was voting for the next book to be <laughs> Rad Women in Space. Oh, yeah. But that's okay. Maybe that's next. Yeah. Before we go this week, since it is the week of Thanksgiving, we wanted to talk a little about some of the things we're thankful for. It's sort of a spin on homework, but it's very grateful homework that yeah. we're giving you this week. You know what I'm thankful for right now, actually, is the binging of Gilmore Girls that I've been doing. And I'm especially excited because the new series is coming out on Netflix very soon. And so there is a lot of new Gilmore Girl binging in my future that I'm pretty excited about. I think that you and I have 
separately and sheepishly been binging pretty hard yeah. on the Gilmore Girls because occasionally you'll text me just like three words. Uh huh. What was I'm it yesterday? That, yesterday it was Marty got hot. <laughs> He did get kind of hot, though. The thing is, is we didn't talk about the fact that I had also just watched the episode that I'm pretty sure you're referring uh-huh. to, which is when Marty got kind of hot. <laughs> I'm grateful for the fact that Miss Patty Liz Torres <gasps> is going to be on the show soon. Yes, next week. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We got to talk to Miss Patty. Yeah, a thing happened in that interview, actually, where I called her Patty, and she was very gracious about it. So you should definitely stay tuned for that <laughs> next week. Because she's a real human whose name is Liz. <laughs> yeah, her name Greta is Greta called Patty, her Miss Patty. But she's stuck in there, you know? She's she's kind, as Miss Patty would. <laughs> what else do we have? I am thankful for the fact that as I'm starting to do a little bit of holiday shopping, that my nephews, who are my favorite humans, mm-hmm. sorry, Greta, um, <laughs> Are now at the age where they're starting to like things and be able to play with toys that are very like sciencey and fun. Ooh, yeah. So this is the first year that I'm looking at things that like I also would like to do, <laughs> like you know the make a volcano kits or the build your own projector telescope planetarium space tiger engineering robot, <laughs> robot fun. <laughs> so there's a lot of Google search history on my phone that's just like. STEM toys. You know what else I'm grateful for is a book I'm reading right now called The Wangs Versus the World, and it's by Jade Chang. And it's about this Chinese immigrant who becomes super rich and famous and then loses all of his wealth and then has to drive across the country to, like, pick up his children and, like, withdraw them from really expensive schools and drive in this really crappy Mercedes back to his older daughter's house. And so it's kind of like a road trip story, and it's ju- it's just really good. I'm enjoying it very much. And we'd love to hear what you guys are grateful for, too, over this holiday weekend. And just in general, I know a lot of us are thinking it's been a rough year, but, like, there's good stuff, and it's worth it's worth talking about, I think. So, yeah, send us a tweet. We are at Nerd at Podcast. You can also email us, nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Dassault and Justin Bull. Our intern is Annie Nguyen. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. We are thankful for all of them, too. That's true. We are thankful for all of them. They're not terrible people. (laughs) Thanks for listening to us wherever you are listening to us. We would appreciate subscribing to us on iTunes or following us on NPR One. We also need to thank the very lovely ADKGirl14 the nice iTunes review. She says, listening to Nerdette is like sharing a cocktail with some smart ladies. Oh, that sounds good. That's pretty cool. I'm thankful for cocktails, too, let's be honest. I hope it's a hot toddy. (laughs) I hope we're all sharing a hot toddy. (laughs) You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, Nerdette Podcast. Hey, we've got a weekly newsletter. Oh, yeah! Which gives you the inside scoop about what's coming up on the show and also some of our favorite links from around the internet. Hot links! Hot links! Hot toddies! (laughs) Find that at nerdatpodcast.com. That's where you can also find information about WBEZ's other podcasts. Hit that Shows A to Z button on the website and you will see all the other fantastic podcasts you can listen to at WBEZ.org. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Which in this case is to be grateful. Just be grateful. Yeah. Eat whatever makes you happy. Hey, thanks, Trisha. For what? Just, you know, being around. All right. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. (laughs) For what? <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.